Hello, welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. And I am Chip, going by one name. Just that's it right now. Just like the lead singer of our band, Ken. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're talking the police today, and I'm excited. But uh, introduce our guest, please. I'm excited to talk. By the way, Police is one of my favorite bands of all time. Better than all the other shit bands that you've brought up the last year and a half, Ken. <laughs> Finally, something I can dig into. Better uh, than but, Olivia Newton-John? All right. Uh, jury's still out on that one. <laughs> jury's still out. Better That's, than Spade Cooley? Okay. Definitely not better than Spade Cooley. <laughs> um, and I don't think Sting can roller skate, so I don't think he's better than Xanadu and uh, Olivia Newton-John. Uh, but, I, but I will say this. I am very excited to have our guest this week to talk a little police. He's the host of the internet radio show podcast, Cooper Time. Uh, Cooper, Cooper Time. Cooper Talk. Cooper Talk. And a contributing edit, uh, entertainment writer for the Hamilton Gazette. And I think he knows every single person in the entertainment business. Steve Cooper, how are you, my friend? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. I feel I feel good. I was, Thanks uh, for coming on. Yeah, I was, I was last week. I was sick. I had this new virus. They call it COVID. And I don't know oh, if you heard of it. But I had that and I was like, oh, God. And it was so good to actually I was looking forward to this because you said I recorded a few of my shows, but I was looking going, you know what? I can go talk music on Monday. I'll be better. So I, I got all better. I did the protocol. I cleared on Friday, I guess. I just haven't done shit. So I've been looking at the Internet about the police and listening to some police like Ken has. And it's that's great. And down is some ivermectin. <laughs> yeah, man, I just, I, I'm straight up. I'm, I'm cold turkey. Okay, all right, good, good. Did you was it uh, your was it your first time getting COVID? Yeah, and uh, I told you guys I go into the Blondie concert. I got home Saturday night, and I was fine. I went with a guy I've known since first grade. It's a long time, and we were having beers. So I woke up the next morning. I was feeling a little under, and I go, well, "It's probably the beers," and it wasn't. And then, yeah, I just got a fever, and I felt awful, and then. You know, I knew I had it, so I started self-quarantining. And then my wife, uh, Tuesday morning, she tested and she was negative. But then Tuesday night, she had it, so we basically both had it. And yeah. it, it sucks. It's my first. It's my first time. Knockwood. I hope it's my only time. But yeah. it's a, it, was, it wasn't fun. Yeah, I got it for the first time a few weeks ago, and uh, it definitely wasn't fun. But I was. Like I went out, you know, like they say, like you should still wear a mask in public even after, you know, four or five days or whatever. So I would go out if I had to like just run to pick something up. I would go out with a mask on and I had a couple people say something to me. And one of them was an older guy like in a bagel place who's like I heard him mumbling under his breath that I looked ridiculous in that mask. And uh I, and he looked like he was in his 70s, and I just wanted to pull it down and cough on him and kill him so bad. It's like, yes. this is for you, asshole. I don't, I'm not doing it. I already got it. I don't fucking care about me. Uh, so I was at the gym this morning and I had the mask, and I was like, people look at you, and it's the same thing. It's like, you're right. We're not doing it for us. We're yeah. doing it for you. Yes. We're being careful, but they, it's just, it's, it's just like, mind your own business. You know, it's mm -hmm. just like, shut up. You know, I'm not laughing at you. So just leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's I did hear somebody tweeted about this, I think, but it was somebody was like the best response is like if somebody's like, why are you wearing a mask? And they're just like, oh, it just helps me to mind my own fucking business. That's, <laughs> that's what it does. And I was like, that's a great that's a great response. That is a great response. So let's start, Steve, I'm so happy we, uh, you you gave us the topic of the police to cover. And uh, I, I was telling you off air, like I always immerse myself in the music of whoever we're covering. 
uh, for days leading up to it. And I've been listening to nothing but the police for four or five days, and it's uh, made me so happy. Mm-hmm. Well, they're just the, the music's great. And, you know, this is funny. I, and I, I heard this last night and you may have known this, Ken and Chip. I didn't know this. And I, I followed the police my whole life. But I was watching a show last night on epics called My Life as a Rolling Stone. Yes. I'm going to say I know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah. They were talking about, you know, when Ron Wood joined and I just interviewed Kenny Jones from the faces and he said, Ron left us for stones in a progression. You know, he won. He finally he became a stone. But when they were saying they were who they were auditioning, they said Andy Summers. And I'm going, wait a second. Andy Summers, um, he's one of the police. And I didn't know that he was 10 years older than Sting and Stuart Copeland. Yeah. Andy Summers is going to be 80 in December. And he just came out with a photography book. I mean, that amazed me. I didn't know that because I was like, what was he, like 15 when he's auditioning? But I did not know he was that much older than the rest of the group. Yeah, he was in his 30s. And uh, like he had been around and he was like friends with, I think like Clapton and Jeff Beck and all those guys, like just was, and kind of hung with them and was, was, you know, of that level of, of proficiency and, uh, and knew all those guys. I was also trying to picture him in the stones <laughs> and, uh, it's, I couldn't even like wrap my mind or, although I guess it would have been a little like he, he was replacing Mick Taylor, who was very uh, proficient and melodic and classically trained was like the complete opposite of Keith. Like in Ronnie, they kind of got like a, just like another Keith that, that they could weave the guitar sound around. But I guess Andy Summers replacing Mick Taylor actually does sort of make sense when you think of the player Mick Taylor was. Right. I mean, it's something it's just so crazy to think about that, like how what that band would have been with if it was Andy Summers. It's like like the Yardbirds at one time had Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton. Yeah. And you go, holy crap. And Jimmy Page is playing bass. And you go, you know, what the hell? So the Stones, you know, the police never be, we never had the police, probably. I mean, we've never yeah. we even be yeah. talking here, but it's just it's different because of such a different time. And just Andy, people know Andy as the police guitarist, they don't know what an amazing talent he is and what chops he has. Mm-hmm. I think everybody, because obviously everybody knows Sting and what he does. And then Stuart Copeland is just a you know, brilliant drummer. And then I feel like Andy really gets lost in the mix sometimes. And he's amazing what he does. You know, his jazz, I like, I'm not a huge jazz guy, but like, I'll listen to anything Andy Summers does. And like some of his stuff is, is, is great. Yeah. Um, I read something interesting where, uh, to, I guess the police were always a trio, but there was another dude that was in there before Andy Summers. Yeah. Uh, Henry Potavani, I think, <laughs> who was basically just like, he had like a lot of punk credit and right. just knew the, knew his four chords. That was pretty much it. Right. Well, they, they started, I mean, people kind of lumped them in with punk. They really weren't a punk band. They recorded one or like a couple punk songs. But I think uh, it was um, it was Stuart Copeland's band to start. Yeah. He, he's the one yeah. that recruited Sting. He came from Curved Air and yeah, he recruited Sting. And I think he just saw like it, it, it sounds like Stuart Copeland was like, I want to make it big. I want to do this thing. He saw what punk was doing in England. So he's like, let's just get a part, be, be a part of that movement and just try to form that. And it, it's just like I'm, I'm trying to think of an example of like when somebody like they're just like they tried it and they're like oh wait we're too good for this we forgot about that and <laughs> yeah 
you can hear like the, you listen to the song Fallout and you can hear Sting's soul die at like the two minute mark. He's like, this is not what I should be doing right now. See, I love that song. And I, it's, I it's a great, it's a great song, but it's just like, it's, it's also them just trying to be like, you just see that progression. It's it's amazing to watch what they, what they've done. Well, they brought so much different music, different styles, you know, I mean, even with Roxanne, I mean, I, I talked to Ken before I'm, I'm older than you guys. And I remember, you know, MMR, I remember being at my parents' house in Cherry Hill in our den and I had one of those stereos, you know, like the rack one that had the double cassette built in and all that stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and flipping around and, and, People started to hear Roxanne. Like MMR played stuff. YSP didn't. YSP was very classic rock driven. And I liked Roxanne and it was a different sound. Then I heard uh, Can't Stand Losing You. And I was just like, holy shit. You know, who is who are these guys? And it just caught, it just caught you. It was something so different because, you know, we were listening to, you know, sticks, you know. You know, Book of Dreams by Steve Miller. You know, Kansas Left Overture. They were the groups that our older brothers were listening to, like ELP yeah. and, you know, Chicago. And all of a sudden, you know, we really didn't have anything. And then all of a sudden we heard something and we're like, wow, this is cool. And, and you got buzzed because at the same time you had Elvis Costello and Joe Jackson, the Talking Heads, and all these groups were coming out and we're like, wow, this can be ours. You know, this is what, like, we're junior high, some of us are in high school. And this, this is what, and I still remember hearing that song man, I hear can't stand losing you. I remember it, it was right. The story was right under the desk and uh, yeah, it's, it stuck with me. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so melodic too. Like it just, it has that energy, but just has, has that amazing. And like, it's so, it's so dark too. That's what I love it too. Like so many of their songs are so dark, but just have this fun, upbeat melody and rhythm. Well, the, the single got, uh, the single got banned for a little, or the artwork for the single, because the cover had uh Stuart Copeland like hanging himself. Really? On, on he, was, a, he was he was on ice on a block of ice, and there, right? And there was a radiator <laughs> and he had a rope. And they did that. And then Roxanne, they had said, you know, it was banned because Roxanne was about, you know, a prostitute. Yeah. And and it was like a big thing. And you know, England, and I've learned this from talking to some of the musicians that have been on my show, like the stuff the BBC would ban over there was just like you would never even believe it. And it was it was one of those things they didn't want to hear, you know, Roxanne. Even though it was it wasn't banned, they wouldn't play it. And it's just one of those things that well now that would sell so many more albums because there's social yes. media. But back then, it sort of crushes you, you know, because you know bands in England, you know, they're in England. You know, they don't get the U.S. till later. Well, it mm-hmm. wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, I was. I was actually just reading. If I understand it correctly, so I, I went to like he, the he Rolling he Stone. Read, Steve. He does not read. Yeah, come on. I went to the Rolling Stone archives, and Stuart Copeland admitted the single was never banned. The BBC just didn't pick up on. Like they submitted it, and the CB and the BBC was like, "Nah, pass." But they didn't ban it because it was about prostitution. But then the police. Uh, ran you know they they told people oh we just got banned from the bbc knowing that that would help sell records which was you know in hindsight a pretty good strategy they were also managed i i I can't believe i never knew this but they were also managed by Stuart copeland's brother yeah miles copeland who was had a big he was a big part of that irs records and you know they, they came from that area and uh yeah it's something that that helps, you know, it's nepotism, but they, you know, they didn't, they didn't want to really, I mean, I read an article that said they didn't, they gave them like $1,500 or 1500 pounds to record their first album. And they, uh, 
That's what his brother gave him because he didn't. He wasn't really into the sound until he heard Roxanne, and he's like, "Oh wow, you know, I'm yeah. gonna get behind this." It's just weird when your old brother is like, "Yeah, hey, you know, it's like a comedy booker." If your brother's a comedy booker, he goes, "Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a seventy-five to headline, but I'll, you can drive, you can drive with me. Come to the show with me. I'll give you seventy-five to headline." I mean, it's like it's a, he's supposed to like stick up for his brother. Yeah, yeah. Well, he also uh, so Stuart Copeland is the one who he saw Sting singing in jazz bands, and he was uh, he was a, famously a school teacher. And Stuart Copeland was like, oh, no, this dude's going to be a big star and I'm going to I'm going to hitch my wagon. And uh, Miles Copeland didn't see that either. He, he was like, "Nah, I don't understand what your fascination with this sting dude is. Um, but then I was reading, you know, like the police famously, they just can't get along. They're at each other's throats from pretty much the, the moment they form. And um after they break up, Miles continues to manage Sting. So I guess, <laughs> I guess at some point he was like, "Oh, maybe my brother was right." Yeah, maybe this is gonna work. Hey, but like he, yeah, he had IRS records, which brings us REM uh, with the Go Go's. I think was the on alarm. It. Was yeah, yeah, Go Go's. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. I mean, with the police, you know, you said about Sting and how they didn't get along, and you always forget that it is weird that, and now it makes sense. Andy was ten years old. Mm -hmm. That's completely, that's like, that's not normal for a band. Most of these guys start off in the garage. They start off here. They start up there. But all of a sudden it's like, you're someone older than your older brother playing with you. And it's, it's, it has to be weird. And, and the thing for the police is, you know, back then you would make albums and you would tour. I mean, they made five great albums and I'm looking it's between 78 and 83. They had five not just like uh, albums, just great albums. Yeah. And that was amazing. I mean, it has to get, it has to tax you because you're sitting there, you're around each other, you know, you're touring. I mean, you know, I mean, if you guys went on the road doing comedy for like two weeks, I bet after like eight days, you'd be like, Oh Jesus Christ. But you're not in a van with other people and equipment. I mean, in the early days, that's how these bands get along. They just, they mm -hmm. drive, even when they come to America, they're just driving in vans with, the other guys and and they get shitty hotel rooms and they got to share their hotel rooms and it must just be it must be taxing yeah yeah it's it's got to be so hard and you 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 definitely see that with like i feel like andy was like you said a little bit older and a little more passive aggressive like he would definitely get into it but like i feel like stewart and sting were the ones that like really i mean literally come to blows like there's <laughs> there's so much and like some of it's playful but like there's so much documentation of them literally fist fighting yeah. on camera yeah there's it's like hilarious. that famous mtv interview where Beers go flying, table gets overturned, yeah. there, and you can see it's for real. But, but they, Steve, going back to going back to those albums, it, four of those five albums are on Rolling Stone's 500 greatest albums of all time. Like, can you imagine that? F four of the five albums made the greatest. It's only uh, Zenyatta Mandata didn't didn't make the uh, the top 500, which is unreal. I mean, just that batting average right there. Oh yeah, it's every song, every album was good. Except you know, it's funny. Some of the albums, though, like Zagata Mandata, the do 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 da 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 was like, I think my least favorite song on the album, but that's what yeah. it got to play. Like, people go, it's just like with uh, with uh, Tom Petty, you know, with Dan the Torpedoes, don't do me like that. Yeah. yeah, the rest are great. It's weird how people would gravitate towards certain songs and then you look at them, but that's, I didn't know that four out of five. I mean, that's that's insane. I mean, yeah. we're talking about the, I mean, how many albums have come out? We're talking about 500 albums of yeah. all time and four, 80% of your work. 
yes. is on there. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, listen to listen to what's on on Zenyatta Mandato. Uh, don't stand so close to me. Driven, which to, is one of my favorites. Driven the tears, which is amazing. Yeah. When the world is running down, you make the best of what's still around. Canary in a coal mine. Voices Great inside talk. my head. I agree with you that uh, de do 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 de da 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 was kind of goofy, but it's got man in a suitcase, shadows in the rain. Like there's no like they there's no reason that album shouldn't have made shouldn't be on the top five hundred. No, yeah. I actually I like that better than Ghost in the Machine and Synchronicity. Mm-hmm. It's 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 just it's 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 so good how how they yeah yeah. But they had a really interesting – so I was reading about this. So they did – like Miles Copeland kind of knew what the fuck he was doing. Um, he – they they played some shows in the UK. They, you know, they didn't they – released a – they released Roxanne. It, it barely charted. It, it wasn't a big deal. Then they then they come to America and they do a run of the East Coast. I I think the first show they play is CBGBs. CBGBs, yeah. yeah. And like people really dug them. Yep. Um, they they bounce around uh, the East Coast a little bit, but then Miles Copeland books them on a world tour and and sends them to places that don't normally get rock concerts. Like they were going to like Egypt. If you ever seen those pictures of them on a camel and, Mm -hmm. and, and this is before they were, this was before they had exploded or broken through, but pictures were going out to the press of look, the police are in Egypt. Look, the police are in Africa. And then people started being like, wow, I guess this band's the real deal. Then they re-released, uh, they re-released Roxanne and um it did it did much better. The the other thing that they did uh by the way, can I just jump yeah. jump in real quick? Uh just so I hate to do this in the middle, but uh on September 13th to 14th, I'm gonna be at Chuckles in Cairo. Uh so check me out. Uh the uh, I believe there's still tickets for the lake show. I heard I heard the feature has to pay their own air. Is that true? Yeah, well they do. They just yeah, it's you know, they, they get $100 in a tour of the uh, Sphinx. <laughs> uh, the other thing they did that was so smart was they turned down a big record advance uh, for the first album because um, bands would get these big advances and blow it and not realize that you got to pay it back through merch and royalties. So what the police did was they essentially make the album for free. They don't take any advance and they ask for much higher royalties on Mm -hmm. the songwriting. And um, for the record company, it's a win-win because either your album's not going to sell and they haven't paid you in advance and they don't have to worry about getting their money back or your album's going to sell a ton and they're going to make a shitload of money anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, they they opted to do that, and um, I'm guessing they they got rich quicker than than most other young bands starting out. Yeah, so many bands screwed themselves over. But the thing also is they did Top of the Pops, which you know in England back then that was like the shit. Yeah, like if you were, everyone everyone. I mean, I've had acts on my show that have told stories of you know as kids they watch this and they're waiting to go on stage and they're shitting themselves because they know. If they do well, they're going to sell. 
stuff going to sell. Mm. And, you know, that's when, you know, so funny, they became big in England, but then it's like America sometimes always takes a little longer, you know, but, but what you said, Ken, the touring is brilliant. And also because it was three blonde haired dudes, people aren't used to seeing a trio of blonde guys, you know, with skinny ties in the middle of the desert. You know, it was something that was that look too. And that, that really solidified them too, because, you know, me being my age, you know, in, in August 1st of 1981, MTV came out. Now the police were established and we had seen some videos, which you'll be happy, Ken, uh, Iggy Pop used to play uh, the board, <laughs> board video was there was a, yeah. when, when, when Cable, New Jersey, in New Jersey, on the prism, it was prism, the box had this channel that would play videos and Iggy Pop was one of them. Police, you know, they had different ones. We really had seen videos, but then when when uh, MTV came out, you know, they just broke so many bands. And the police all happened to be good looking guys, and Sting's, you know, a bull honk, so he's up front, and the women are loving him. And then it's just it just blows up. I mean, I know it was in '81; they already had a few albums out, but I still remember uh, every little thing she does. Magic when that yes. video came out. No. The girls were going crazy because they're having fun. They put their hats on each other. They're, they're, it looks like they're in the middle of the, the jungle or wherever they are, or, or paradise. And and it was just, that was all of a sudden people said, people didn't know, like, we knew them because we thought that was cool. It was our, like I, I said earlier, our music. It wasn't mm-hmm. Sticks Grand Illusion or Fog Hat. Yeah. You know, it was, it was right. our stuff. Right. And then all of a sudden people said, like, oh my God, like, girls would be like, these guys are really cute. Wait a second, who are the police? And they just started getting this big following and it was so funny on mtv i mean if the police if sting was like look like john fogarty nothing against john fogarty yeah. but the police wouldn't have been as big i mean it's something i don't think people would have caught on now they had the chops to back it up that's the difference mm-hmm. which a lot of these 80s bands didn't but the look and people it just it blew them up and it made them like accessible like you you saw them like you know we didn't see like so I said, Foghat, you didn't see Foghat videos. You might see my midnight special, but it was like every, and every day you saw these guys. So you not only were checking the videos out and they had cool videos, but you listened to the music and you constantly heard the music and it made you go out and get on your bike, drive up to the yeah. record store and get the album. And it was some, or the cassette. And it was just, it was amazing how MTV is so important now that it's such shit. I mean, I don't even watch it. It's awful, but it was at a certain point it was so important to the music that we've listened to and now it disappeared. It, sort of it had, it had me brainwashed as a little kid, as a oh, six, seven, eight year old. I, I would sit cross-legged in the basement, just staring at MTV for hours. And, and you couldn't, you couldn't escape the police. Right. No. And then for us, for us, it was a point where we were getting the age where we started drinking and smoking pot. So we even had that better experience. Yeah. And we're like, all right, Hey, light up the joint or, you sneak some beers in the basement. You go to your friend's basement and, yeah. and you watch it. And you just and then you see, you know, from the police and the Motley crew and just all this, this just this cool stuff. Which in the long run, a lot of those acts got screwed because the, the record company would say, "Okay, you know what? We want you to have this director, the Hooters. You're a big Hooters fan, Chip. Uh, David yeah. Fincher directed one of the Hooters videos. Yeah, really? he directed yeah, a lot was, of those MTV videos. But for the Hooters, it was um, it was um. The one about the woman, I can't, I can't think of it. But um, they would sit there and they would get the records. And they would, here's your choices, and they'd be these high record, these high costs. And then what you said earlier, Ken, about them not signing the big advance. Well, as it went on, they had to pay for these videos. Once again, they didn't know, and they're like, you know what? We could have just done, 
you know, we could have just were the police. We just had three guys just like sitting in the front yeah. playing the guitar. And it, it was crazy. I mean, even after they got big, it didn't look like the budgets for those videos. I mean, uh, like the most expensive looking one is the one where Sting's dancing with all the candles. Which oh, one? wrapped around your finger. Yeah. It was yeah, like, such a, it looks like they spent such a, a couple. pretentious video. <laughs> yeah. That is such a, just like, he's in his white, like, his white, like, outfit, and he's hitting there, and, and he's, and I'm like, dude, really, like, stop, stop it. You're a band. And it, you look at it, it just says, and it, I, I, the thing is, we all remember it. But yeah. it was just one of those pretentious, like, if you could break Sting into a video, his personality, <laughs> it's that video. <laughs> um, Yeah, it's, it's, uh, he he seemed like a fairly tortured dude from the very beginning um, in, in digging up some of these interviews. I, I want to jump ahead to um, – this is interesting. So in uh, – I, I found an interview uh, with Sting from like 1983 or 1984 and it is – So he's, uh, he started to check out by this point. He's starting to check out. And I want to say this is for – oh, no, I'm sorry. It's uh, the interviews from 1981. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it says uh, – okay, here's a quote from Sting in 1981. I don't think we'll be relevant in two years, he said. I think we have said all we have to say with – I think we will have said all we have to say within four, maybe five albums, and then I'll have to stop. I just hope I'm not greedy enough to say let's carry on. So, so he, so he knew. He, yeah, he, he knew. knew. And, 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 you know, and the funny thing is, in, on the upside, he could have been greedy enough because they were the biggest band in 83. And I know – They were the biggest band on the seen, planet. Yeah. I – I saw them in 1983 at JFK. Oh, yeah, tell us this lineup. This is, this okay. is unreal. So, well, here's what happens. They're, they're coming there, and and the tour is between small places and big places. Now, just to get an idea, JFK held 104,000 people. If you put Citizens Bank and the link together, that's 108,000. Okay. So I'm living down the Jersey Shore with a bunch of buddies of mine, and we're like, we're in Avalon, and we take the bus up. It's a real hot day. And the lineup, and it's at JFK is R.E.M., which they only had the first album they had Radio Free Europe, Madness, who we all knew from MTV because of One Step Beyond, and yeah. I think Our House was on, Joan Jett, and The Police. And it was one of those things, you know, I still remember because back then you could take booze in, and we had like this, one of those Coleman canteens, those big things you used to take every, May filled with uh, sea breezes. And we just got shit faced and sat on the bleachers and enjoyed it. And it was, it was amazing. And it was like, you know, funny thing is they had sold, they sold out JFK and then they broke up. Like, you know, uh, to what you said, Ken, he said it was, they had anything more to say unless he was greedy. They could have, they could have made another album. Yeah. It was, even if it sucked and people would have bought it, they could have done another tour. And sometimes it's, it's crazy when, you know, you sit there as a musician, I mean, cause the money grabs easy, but you're sitting there going, you know what? We're the biggest band in the world right now. It's not like you're the biggest band in Gloucester, New Jersey. Yeah. You're the biggest band in the world. And they call it quits. And it's not like they did it as a PR stunt to say, you know, like everyone is coming on our last tour, you know, kiss. We're right. on our last tour. Yeah. Our last tour. I saw I saw Motley Crue's last tour like 10 years ago or 
maybe, maybe eight years ago at the Hollywood Bowl in L.A. Well, you know, they're just touring again. So they, they did it. I mean, they went out on top. And that I mean, that takes balls when you think about it, because I'm sorry. And everyone says, well, they have enough money. Yeah, but guess what? I mean, they can still make millions and sit there and go, well, you know what? My kids, kids, kids never have to work. Yeah, but it's it also crazy. It's- it's also it's I mean, it's to to give up the rush of of playing stadiums and hundreds of thousands of adoring fans. And I mean, to just walk away from that at the very top and, and knowing it because you're self-aware enough to know. Uh, I don't think I don't think we have anything left to say. Um, but- and going back to what you said, Steve, about like not doing that tease of like, oh, this is the last big tour or whatever. Like they basically broke up without telling anybody. I mean, Sting, Sting basically broke up. And it wasn't even it seemed like it wasn't even 100 sh- percent sure if they broke up or not, or not for like a year. Like it was just that was just in it was just a question. It's like, will they get back together? Are they going to continue? Are they doing another album? And there was just like it was almost radio silence for a while. Yeah, it was in, with MTV back then. Kurt Loder was breaking every story. Yeah, Kurt Loder looked like he was like ninety. <laughs> yeah, like thirty-five. 30, he was yeah, exactly. Yeah, John yeah. Norris, the guy with the gap too. Uh-huh. And you had Chris Connolly, who's now like yeah. this huge, like huge journalist. And it was just yeah. weird. like, like you couldn't do anything. Like MTV News was so on it. Gilby Clark was on my show, and when he joined Guns N' Roses, he said he found out because he'd auditioned. He found out that he was in Guns N' Roses. He was watching MTV with his girlfriend, now his wife, and it came on and she's like, holy shit, you're, you're in Guns N' Roses. That, I mean, that's <laughs> how MTV had knew so yeah. much and that they just, the, the police just went under the circuit, which shows that for a band that had a lot of drama, they weren't drama queens. I'll say with milking that shit. Yeah. They, yeah, they, I guess they did keep it fairly contained behind the scenes. Um, but I'm I'm so sting at uh, so I'm reading one of the, actually uh, Kurt Loder interview from Rolling Stone and Sting is 29 and he's saying uh, I'm I'm misanthropic I'm not terribly social the real me is fairly isolated and I function better on my own particularly creatively so he knew like very early on he he wasn't meant to be in a band. And he winds up in the biggest band in the world. And that had to have been uh, that had to have been not as happy an experience as it could have been for him, I guess. Yeah. And also their their workload. I mean, we just said, you know, it was, you know, when when you talk about the police, you know, you talk about some of these bands and and you don't think the police, they only have five albums And, and, and you're talking. 78 to 83. That's like nothing. That's like, like half the pandemic. Yeah. That's how, that's all the police were alone. I mean, that's all they were around. And, and when you, when you say the police, though, they were so influential and they just changed music a lot. That just, I mean, that whole scene you had, you know, at my age, it was so amazing. As I said earlier, all those new bands and they were fresh and shit we never heard. And then you're like, wow, like Joe Jackson's done like 15 albums. You know, Elvis Costello's still making albums. Yeah. Oreo Speedwagon is making new albums, for Christ's sake. Doobie Brothers just made a new album. They had five albums. I mean, five, and that's it. And as you said, they were four of the top 500. And as Ken said, when you break down Zanyana Madonna, it's, it's a great fucking album. 
Yeah. And and you think about it, Bill, just the, the work and the but the pressure they must have been under. Because usually, you know, once you get that first album, then the second one, you know, there's a pressure. But then all of a sudden your second one's hit, your third one's hit, and they they didn't have a flop. Like they just kept going up and up in sales and up. And that doesn't happen a lot. No. And then they got to the top. And then they said, screw it. But as you said, Sting, and Sting knew he'd have a good solo career. And Sting had the, the acting looks, you know, Quadrophenia, Dune, and stuff. And it was something that I think he just, it's one of those things, he's probably just a true artist when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I remember. So the, the every breath you take, the uh, greatest hits album that they put out in 86, mm -hmm. first album I ever bought on cassette with my, I was 10 years old and uh, first album I ever bought with my own money. Um, I remember making my parents take me to see Dune because Sting was in it. And boy, was that a mistake for... <laughs> <laughs> for uh like nine and, hours yeah, long yeah and yeah. i was like nine or ten or whatever when it came out and uh <laughs> he's in it for like eight minutes and i was like i'm this uh, okay this was maybe. let me ask you guys a question what made you want to buy that that cassette like what made you guys become police fans because for me as I said, they were my they were my people. They were my mm -hmm. people. I was like, we played it. But you're young kids. What taught you about the police? Because there's so many other groups you can listen to. I mean, what just turned you on about the? What turned you on? Was it their sound or what? What was it? For me, it was uh, like most kids with with good music taste. I had older brothers. And uh, my older brother was a huge police fan. So he was just it was just always on. And I, I can't remember what song it was that grabbed me at first, but I remember may have been message in a bottle. But I remember just thinking like these just seem like the coolest dudes on the planet. Those videos were great. The Synchronicity 2 video that looked like uh, like Road Warrior. Mm hmm. And it was such a, and they were like, they had a sense of humor, but they were musically so talented, but the lyrics were dark and self-deprecating. Like I remember um, my brother used to play that song, Be My Girl, a lot, which is about a guy who marries a blow up doll. And when you're eight or nine years old, you're like, that's the funniest, craziest fucking thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. So I just they were always on. They were always present in my childhood. And I just remember always loving them. They were so good that I hung through those first couple Sting solo records. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. That's that. That's that's diehard right yeah. there. I was like 11, like, no, dream of the blue turtles. Good shit, man. I, I will say all this, all this time, all this time is a, is a, is a banger. I do. I do. I do love all this time. But yeah. Uh, no, for me, which is interesting because uh, Ken had texted us and said, Hey, let's do the police. I'd never really heard them before. So I just started listening last week and I thought they were pretty good. I thought they were pretty good. I was like, oh, I like this sound. I maybe they have more albums. Um, no, well, and I suffered because I, I was the older brother. So I didn't have that older sibling to give me good stuff, except for the police. I have, uh, two cousins, uh, a guy and a girl, they're 10 and 12 years older than I am. So, uh, you know, they were 
uh, they were probably like like 14 or so when the police really hit big. They moved to England for about a year for like my uncle's work. They just moved over to England for a year, came back. And I was like four years old or so. And it like they were like, oh, the police is everything. And they brought back the police kind of from England as as it was getting popular in the US, too. But like they it was just always on with them. And then it just became, they were kind of like my favorite, first favorite band, like besides the beach boys of like with, that my parents loved. It was like, okay, this is my thing. And I just always loved, always loved the, uh, the police after that. Yeah, they were, um, yeah, they, they were just always, they were just I, I, always on in my household. Speaking of always on, my parents were pretty like cool with music. Like we could listen to pretty much whatever we wanted. They were cool with it. The only song my entire childhood or teen years that my mother made me turn off. She's like, you need to turn this off now was a uh, message in a bottle by the police because I just kept listening to it over and over again. I do the same and thing. It, that's so far. And it's so repetitive. Like the end is just sending out an SOS, yes. sending out an SOS. Yes. And I would just listen to it over and over again. And finally, my mom came in and she's like, I'm sorry. You just have to turn the song off. I can't hear it anymore. And just since, made me turn it off. Because since it was just you guys so were so young, did you ever actually want to put a message in a bottle? Like I was too old to do it. But for a kid, <laughs> you know, if you're little, you're probably, you know, you see a 17 year old going down to the beach with a fucking bottle. People are going to go, yeah. Let's, you know, drink it, you asshole. Like, I mean, I just, you know, that, you're young. Did you ever sit there and go, I want to do that? Like, did you ever cross yeah, the that's, mind? that's actually how Chip and I met. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, by the way, uh, that's exactly how many people listen to this show. How many people find it's literally if we just we just record this and put it in a bottle, throw it out onto the Jersey Shore in Ocean City and see if anybody listens. Yeah. And that's uh, I was 10 that's years our, old. That's our listenership. I was 10 years old in Point Pleasant and I wrote uh, Need a Future co-podcast uh, host. Yeah. And I found it and I found it. And we are kind of like the police with like all the talent and the fighting and the bickering because I'm super talented and Ken fights all the time. So it kind of it works out well. Listen to some of the listen to how passive aggressive Sting was with uh, with uh, Andy and Stewart. I'm reading an interview. He never once mentions them by name. He only calls them the other two. Like how, oh my God. how fucking uh, here, here's an interesting, uh, he says, uh, but the fact is the most efficient way of running the group is to have me sing because I'm a good singer. I perform the songs on stage. If there were another singer songwriter in the group, I'd be relieved in many ways, actually, because it's a very heavy responsibility. The other two write songs, but in their hearts of hearts, the other two hope that Sting is going to come out with the hits, the ones that get played on the radio. Amazing. So he's he's saying like, hey, I would love to not have to do all this, but these fucking bozos uh, can't pull their weight. But meanwhile, uh, he's probably the worst musician in the group. I mean, you know, just uh, like nobody. I, I, you never yeah, hear anybody talking yeah. about, oh, my God, Sting was this amazing bass player. It was like, oh, Andy Summers, one of the most brilliant guitar players of all time, and Stuart Copeland, one of the greatest drummers who ever lived. Well, also, I have read that uh, the acoustic uh, songs of two of the albums won Grammys. Um, yeah. Of the police albums. So that, I'm, I'm sure that a bassist doesn't write those songs. A ba you know, you don't hear like a, a, a two and a half, three minute 
bass solo. You don't hear a song like, oh, yeah, here's a, a bass song. Right. And, you know, it shows about with Stuart Copeland is, you know, he went on to score movies. But, you know, you think about like Danny Elfman did the same thing. You have to be brilliant to score a movie because it's just the whole scene. So they knew how to write music, but it's probably just, you know, as you said, Sting was very passive aggressive. Probably like, I mean, that happened with, uh, with Creedence Clearwater Revival. John Fogarty told the other people, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, okay, they, they wanted to write more. I interviewed Stu Cook, and he said, we wanted to write more. You know, and John was like, okay, you can write, but I'm not going to play it. So it's like, it's that thing. It's like, it's that passive aggressive, yeah. like, okay, you can do it, but it's, it's not going to make the album. But just to appease you, you can write that. I think that probably happened with Sting, too, because he, he's a good songwriter. You're not going to take that away. No. But the other guys have chops, too, because as I said, the score a movie isn't something that's, that's uh, easy to do. Right. Yeah. Right. And Andy Summers put out tons of albums. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, With Robert Fripp, who's one of Robert the Fripp. most yeah. talented musicians. Who, like Robert Fripp's not just going to agree to do an album with, you know, fuck anybody. <laughs> He did an he did album one with, with he did one with uh, Ted Lynch from the from uh, the Love Boat. Robert Fripp did an album with it. So really, are, so maybe I'm no. wrong. No, 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 no. <laughs> 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 it's like, that my collection. Do I yeah. have that behind me? That would be amazing. I, I'm actually look. I'm looking. Wait. Oh, I have. Oh, here's here's Come Robert on. Fripp and Mrs. Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I, I didn't realize I just I have the best of Sting. I probably got it like in a th- thing, but I have uh, Peggy's Blue Skylight, the Andy Summers album that he did with Q-Tip is on a few of these. Oh, really? Tracks. Oh, I'd love and to it's, hear that. It's pretty amazing. I also do have I will say uh, I'm, I'm holding this right now. This is the uh, the police box the set. Box it's set's the only, so good. It's the only box set that I own. I, I, I've never owned another box set besides the police one. It's amazing. The song they had. And then, you know, when they, they came back and poured again. Which I don't know if you guys saw that show. I had, the, uh, I had tickets for the reunion and then I, I don't remember what happened. I had to give them up and I was pretty bummed. I mean, it was a giant. I mean, that's the other thing. So they, they reform in what was it like 2012 or something like that? 20, 20, uh, uh, 2007, 2008. Two th- okay. They yeah. reform. And uh, like you think, all right, this band made five albums. They haven't done anything since the 80s. They were the most successful tour of that year. They made more money than any other band. People were clamoring yeah. for them to get back I went, together. I went to see them at Dodger Stadium. That is funny. I went with, this is uh, for music trivia people. The girl I was dating at the time, her ex-boyfriend was Waldo in the Hot for Teacher Van Halen video. That is not a, that <laughs> wow. is, that is not a lie. Not That's a lie. amazing. But I went to Dodger Stadium. And whoever the opener was, something happened. So Sting's son's band opened. Ooh, they sucked. And then it was the Foo Fighters. And then it was the police. And Chip, you lived in LA. And in LA, everyone's late. So you're sitting there, and I have shitty seats where Dodger City were up to the top. And you can see over, and people are driving in as the Foo Fighters are on. They're still driving in. They have no thing of time. And then I guess it got out that the police were coming on soon. People just parked their cars. And just like, like if you're driving in Dodger Stadium, like let's say you're driving to Citizens Bank, you're driving into the parking, they just parked it and went into the stadium. And and the thing is, it was a good show, but the Foo Fighters blew them off the stage. Yeah, It was really. one of those things. Dave Grohl, I remember him being on, running around the base path at Dodger Stadium, climbing up on a porta potty. And now you're sitting there and just jamming. And the police, I mean, you think it's years later, 
they're older. I mean, what it's 12 years ago. So Andy Summers is almost 70. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you wow. think about it and, and they hate each other. Well, not Andy and Stuart, but they probably hate each other. And they probably just, I don't know. I don't think it was a money grab. Like we had talked about that earlier, but your comment you made earlier, Ken, about staying left, you know, but they did it. I don't think they did it for the fans, but it must be hard. Like you sit there and get together and you're doing this and, and you just don't like each other. I so I read an interview with Sting after that tour was announced, uh, another Rolling Stone interview, and he basically explained why he did it. Um, He he did it to see. He said it was such a miserable experience for him the first time around with the police that he did love Andy and Stu and Stewart, but he, it was just, it was miserable for him. So he wanted to do um, something completely unexpected that nobody thought would happen, but he wanted to do it to see uh, what his friendships would be like. He wanted to do it to try and reconnect uh, with, with Andy and Stewart. Cause I mean, it was he, all about him. Yeah. It was all about him. Basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he just he needed to do that. And by the way, I saw them at Citizens Bank Park in Philly, and it was the most expensive concert I ever went to because it was back when you you would call into Ticketmaster or whoever it was. I think it was Ticketmaster, and you would call to try to get these tickets, and you knew they were going to sell out right away. Like everybody, you had to get on it. So I called and I got this woman on the phone, and we're going through, and I wanted four tickets, and she was like, "How much are you willing to pay for it?" I was like, "Like two hundred total." Like, you know, so like $50 a ticket, whatever, you know, I'll go nosebleeds. And she's like, okay. And she's like, ringing it up, ringing it up. And she's like, all right, your total comes to $1,100 and like, whatever. I'm like, what? I was like, I said 200. She's like, oh, I thought you meant for each ticket. And so they were like $250, $275 a ticket. But I couldn't just be like, well, no, cancel it because it could have been sold out by that point you know it was like that that quick so i was like fuck it just give them to me and because i wanted to see the police that bad and i took my brother and my two cousins my one younger cousin and my older cousin my 10 year old cousin who turned me on to the police originally and i didn't even take money for them because i was just like half just embarrassed because i paid spent too much for it and i was like screw it i just paid a thousand dollars pay the police let's do it i don't care and we went and we had like 10th row center seats and it was it was they were great. It was it was it was a great show. It was it was worth uh, was worth it. It was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, it was it was well worth it. And I, I feel like I can't remember. I should look this up. I don't remember who. Oh, I don't think the Foo Fighters. You'd remember I would have really that, remembered I if the Foo like. Fighters opened. Would have been the Pretenders, maybe. I forget. I don't it know. may have been. The Pretenders yep. opened a lot. See, now what you guys do since you interview all these good musicians, you got to start, you know, smoozing them so you don't have to pay for tickets. That's the way yeah. I do it. Like, like you guys had Richard Marks on, you know, like just so you guys know, that's like I, my friend, Pat Francis, I was a rock solid podcast and they, he gets a lot of great guests. Brian Johns, plays. Mm-hmm. you see that? Oh, I get a lot of great guests. That's one guy that neither of us can get. We're saying, he's like, I'm pressing hard. I'm like, you fuckers got him. So, you know, if he ever comes to Philly, you better get in touch with him and you better get free tickets he's- because they'll gladly give you free tickets. That's the thing. Other, I talk to younger podcasters who never ask. I got mm-hmm. tickets to Chicago. So I was supposed to interview Robert Lamb. Yeah. Never happened. So I sent yeah. a message. I said, I never happened. Can you give me tickets? A few weeks ago, I'm four rows from the stage, center stage. 
So you just ask you guys, cause you guys get these, you know, Bon Jovi, you got the, you got Dave Bryan, you guys got the shit. You got to get this, you got to get on these, you got get these free tickets. No, a thousand dollars for the police. That'd be like 2000 now with inflation and ticket yeah. truck, ticket master sees probably, it'd be like 800, it'd be a thousand in ticket master fees for you. I love that yeah. you just said Ticketron, and there's <laughs> love Ticketron, love Ticketron. You, you know, it's funny. Uh, Richard Marx is coming to Red Bank in November, and I'm like, well, maybe I'll hit him up. And I, I don't like Richard Marx's music. <laughs> I feel like, and I, I feel like I, I feel comfortable saying. I mean, I feel like he knows that his music's not for guys like us. But I'm like, I, mean, I, I almost feel like obligated. Like, yeah, maybe I should hit him up and go. Well, he's another guy who scored big on MTV because, you know, his video came out. He had that hair. I've yeah. ever seen like him and John Stamos have hair offs on Twitter. Sometimes. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's hysterical. But he's another guy. He scored big off MTV because he was a good looking guy. Yeah. And I sort of like his music. Don't punch me if I see you, Ken. I, I like Richard Marks. I, I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't. I'm, I'm, 50, I'm 58. I'm 58. I, I, I roller skated to it. So <laughs> I don't. I don't hate his music. It was just. It wasn't. You know. I. I was like a rock dude. It wasn't for me. I was. I was indifferent to it. Um. But uh, how did did you guys hang? Did you hang through Sting's solo career? I really didn't. I knew it. You know. I would hear it. I may have had the CD. I may have, you know, someone may have burnt me the CD, but you know, I, I was a police guy, man, yeah. you know, and things sort of jazzy and, you know, Hey, I'd watch Quadrophenia and watch for him, but he shows up just like I'm doing for a short clip. But for me, it's one of those things. If it had sounded like the police, I may have listened to it more, yeah. but you know, as I said, the police just five albums, just, Fucking great music. And then you can give me, as you said, Dream of the Blue Turtles or whatever, <laughs> Set Me Free. I don't want to hear Set Me Free, you know, unless you get up, you jazz it up a little bit. It's not jazz, but right. kick it up. Like give that, give that drum beat, the, the guitar, you know, it, it was, it, I just, I mean, I've, I've never seen him in concert. Have you, got, I, have you seen him in concert? I've seen him. I saw him, uh, I was, 15 years old and it was at the garden and it was some fundraiser. Now this was a very big lineup for 15 year old me. Like now I wouldn't go, but it was um, sting Billy Joel and Don Henley. It was like, it was for Walden something, some uh, Walden books. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, like Walden. I I, I want to say pond, but I know that's golden pond. Um, it's it, like some environmental uh, fundraiser, and and oh, I think it's Walden. Yeah, some somebody got me tickets, and yeah. I and I was psyched. Um, but I remember, like, I was such a police fan that I I would get the Sting albums, and I would be like, well, I like the singles, but the rest wasn't great. And then it was, uh, I think, Chip, you made a reference to it. I, I was listening to, like, I had the 10 Sumner's Tales CD. Yep. Yeah. And my brother walked in and caught me listening to it. And he was like, ugh, he should just change his name to Stink already. <laughs> and, then, and then that was it. I like I I I I turned it off, and I don't think I ever turned it, was, it back on. And I was Fields of Gold was like everywhere in yeah. nineteen ninety 
91 or 92. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the album that was on. That's that's on that. Yeah. yeah. And then the album, I think it's Soul Cages, had that song All This Time. I'm a big fan of All This Time. That's it's like it's a great, it's a great tune. It's a fun video. Uh, that's that's as far as I go. One of my favorite 30 rock quotes of all time, which 30 rocks, one of my favorite shows. Uh, Alec Baldwin is he's talking to his son on like a, he's like unborn son on a video in case like he doesn't make it. He was making one of those videos, like giving him life advice. And he just he, he said he's saying this to the camera. He just says, I may not be there for your wedding, but allow me to give you one piece of fatherly advice. Do not hire Sting to play at the reception. He'll insist on doing jazz versions of police songs. It's just <laughs> demoralizing. His Sting Sting showed up on a. Uh... Was it season one or season two of Only Murders? Only Murders. Him. He was oh, really funny in it. Right. He was he was yeah, funny was in like, it too. Shit, like, like you don't stop that. And it's no, like, not at all. Um, yeah, did you guys listen to Oysterhead at all? Were you guys? I, I was a fish guy, that, so I listened to yeah, Oysterhead. It was Trey from Fish and Stuart Copeland and uh, Les Claypool from, yeah, Primus. from Primus. No, was yeah. was it good? I, I tried to get into it. I feel like it was it, it was almost suffered from what somehow the police didn't suffer from somehow is that Trey, like I, I was a huge fish fan. Uh, Trey's uh, amazing guitarist, Les Claypool, brilliant. And Stuart Copeland, one of the best drummers ever. It's like they were so talented and so technically good. It's like they're not going to make it work. Like it's just too, you know, like it's like you want the kinks, you know, just yeah. play something fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sloppy. Play three chords or whatever. It was just too tight and too almost too good that I was well, like. Still, yeah, still, uh, Copeland also did the sound for Rumblefish, the soundtrack. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. he did Stan Ridgeway, who was in Wall of Voodoo, who did Mexican Radio. Oh, and really? That, okay. That was like I think in the video they had scenes, but that was like all black and white. That that was a really mysterious movie. I think only when Mickey Rourke looked, he would see the fish in color, and the yeah. rest was black and white. But it was just one of those things, you know. As we said earlier, you know, Stuart Copeland has chops, but Sting thought he was too good for him. Yeah. And the the crazy thing, I remember hearing interviews when Oysterhead did their album, which I feel like was like the early 2000s, maybe. Uh, wait, let me look it up. Um, but he um, he basically said, Stuart Copeland was like, they call, however Oysterhead came together, whoever started, and they asked Stuart, I guess, to do it. And he, uh, I think it was 2001. And uh, he was like, I hadn't played the drums in like 15 years. Yeah. Like they were just in my closet. Yeah. And he was like, yeah. So I pulled him out and started playing. And he's just one of the most brilliant drummers. Yeah. He, he said he, he, sto- he stopped playing for over a decade. Yeah. Why? Just. I guess he was like, because he was doing like, he was like, because he scored movies. And then he also did like. Like he wrote operas and like and like ballets like that. Like he was doing a lot of like classical stuff and he was composing, I guess. And I guess he just wasn't at least playing like rock drums at all. So he just he just put him away and then just Oysterhead came along and he, he decided to do it. Sting crazy. Sting did some uh, pretentious horse shit like that later in the career, too. Right. Like he there's an there's a loot album. I don't even know. Like I know okay. that I know the lute is an instrument, but I have no yeah. idea what kind. But I know he has an entire album that was composed on the lute. Yeah, and um, he also has like a concept album about shipyards. Like it's just a whole album who, about who doesn't though <laughs> about boats. 
And I remember him saying when he made the Loot album, there was an interview where he was quoted as like, oh, rock is dead. This is what I'm doing. It's like, well, it doesn't have to be. Like, you can fucking reform the police. Mm-hmm. You know, well, there, there there was supposed to be a yeah. six album. Uh, or, or there was at least... There they, was rumblings of it. There was rumblings of it. They got together to re-record a couple of the old songs. So for the, the for their greatest hits album. For the greatest hits album, which were the the first one that I bought on cassette, and it was 1986. And they re-recorded "Don't Stand So Close to Me." They they made it uh, much worse. A few years yeah, later, yeah, I, I was, I was, I was not a big fan of that remake. It's like no. it's my like, chip. I know, I know you're a big Hooters fan, which I yeah. am too. But uh, uh, fighting on the same side, like the studio remake, is not as good as that first one. That's yeah. when the, that when I heard the first one you were saying about don't. Stand, I was like, what the fuck is this? Yes. Like, this isn't don't stand so close to me. Well, I, I made I made a note of that. I wanted to talk about that because don't stand so close to me is eighty six. I, I put top top three police songs. I just love I just love the sound, and that remake is maybe my least favorite police song i just i can't do it. well and what happened was did you, wait did you say this already kent about what happened to stewart yeah so what what happened was they got together they they had studio time booked and then stewart fell off a horse playing polo and broke his collarbone and couldn't drum so then they got into the studio and the three of them just fought for two days straight and then that was it. And then they, well, here's the, here's the greatest part too. So he couldn't drum physically. So they had to do a drum track, you know, like a synthesizer drum track, whatever it is, you know, like an electronic drum track. So that's I, part of the reason why it sucks. I think why that song, but not only could he not drum, they, he and sting argued over which drum machine to use. Stuart wanted to use his and Sting wanted to use his. And so they're not even playing together. And they still argued for like three days about whose drum machine they were going to use. Like they could do it. And they're just like, okay, this is. Here's this here's is a little known story I'll, I'll let you guys in on. Um, Stuart Copeland, how he learned to r- ride horses. He was from Kenny Jones, who played for The Who mm-hmm. and was friends with Ron Wood. But Kenny Jones introduced him to riding horses because Kenny Jones is a, has a big polo farm. You start getting to polo. So all these rock stars used to like play polo, which sounds so weird. But that's how he got turned on to horses through that's Kenny Jones. Oh, that's funny. And he was playing polo. I didn't realize it was Kenny Jones, but he was apparently playing polo when he <laughs> fell when he, when he had his accident. That's yeah, so funny. Yeah. Can you just imagine just a bunch of just English rockers just playing polo? Just Keith Richards, like duct tape to a horse. <laughs> Keith Richards definitely was not playing polo. Um, that, that's amazing. I got to hear. I'm I'm going to uh I'm I'm going to listen to this interview you did with Kenny Jones. Faces to me are one of the all-time great rock bands that nobody knows. Like when you when you try telling people who are younger than us, "Oh, Rod Stewart was this amazing rock and roll frontman." They're like, "No, that never happened." For and sure, they were the small faces first. Yeah. And I just, you know, Kenny Jones, if you listen to the interview, um, he was just getting over a sinus infection. And I've interviewed a lot of English musicians. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're very hard to understand. And it's, it's that's a weird thing. Like, and like I interviewed, not from England, but I inter- interviewed uh, Marion Gold, who's a lead singer for Alphaville mm-hmm. the other day. Mm-hmm. And he's German. 
So it was very hard because I knew this English isn't his first language. So you're doing an interview and you find yourself trying to slow down. Kenny was great. Uh, I didn't yeah, I'm, t- I'm talking from two, I'm talking to two guys from Jersey right now. I know what you mean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, man. Get your get your uh, hoagie. Get your hoagie. <laughs> get your hoagie at this at the Wawa. Um, uh, you know, Kenny was great, but he, he, then, you know all these guys. They're all like connected somehow. That's the thing. Like these English rockers, we don't think about it, but you know it's like comics. You guys yeah. all know each other. Yeah. These rockers all know each other. The difference is. They've been rockers for, and they've known each other for years, and they're all getting like 70, 75, 80. It's insane. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, I read, I read both of Ian McLoggin's book, who, who was the keyboardist for Faces. I read Ronnie Wood's book. I read Rod Stewart's, like, and, and, and I read them, like, I just want to hear about the Faces years. So, uh, they were great. Yeah. They were small bases first, and then Rod joined. Yeah, they're small, but they're very small. Kenny Jones is very small. The whole band was very small. That's why they're called the small faces. Yeah. But then Rod Stewart was a little bit taller, and they said, "Well, we really can't be the small faces because only a few of us are small, so we'll just be faces." Yeah, and they're they're creating new music together. Yes, actually. Kenny, yeah, Kenny, Kenny Rod, and Rod. Yeah. I'm uh they I, I they're talking about touring too, which I would uh I would pay eleven hundred dollars for that easily because they were well, t- if they tour. And I'll hit up Kenny Jones, and uh, and if they're in Philly, I'll take you, Ken. Yeah, I appreciate that. Chip wouldn't even enjoy it. Chip so, doesn't. Yeah, Chip would... doesn't. I went. I met Chip for coffee. He, he, <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he faces. Chip gets coffee. Chip gets no. <laughs> no Kenny, Collings wouldn't call. You would get the faces. Kenny Jones <laughs> and the Who was ne- never felt like the the right fit for them, but. Uh, Man, he was faces where they were just loose and sloppy and drunk. And that was a fun band. We we need to do a faces. We haven't done a faces episode. Have no, we? no, I'm done. No. Actually, I was watching that. Um, I want to do one on uh, I want to do a Ron Wood one for sure. I was just watching that. My life is a Rolling Stone was. Uh, yeah. And the Ron Wood episode, I think, was my favorite. I dozed off because I was just getting better. I missed it last week because I was sick. I haven't seen the Charlie Watts one. Um, it's really put together well. It's it's a good documentary. And and Ron, yeah. you know, once again, those guys are 80. You know, I, I saw Brian Wilson, uh, who's 80, open for the um Chicago, and he was awful. He was like, you know, he was, he's 80, he's awful. But now I'm thinking Andy Summers is gonna be 80, and I can see Andy Summers would be performing. You know, all those guys, Mick and all almost 80, and they're they're crushing it. It's just weird. Maybe, you know, maybe. Keep away from pharmaceutical kids, yeah. drugs, kids. Yeah. What happened to Brian Wilson? Yeah. Do the heroin, do the coke, do the booze, <laughs> yeah, smoke the drugs. pot, and you, you'll the be way okay. to go. My, yeah, yeah, don't don't do that other pharmaceutical shit because you'll become Brian Wilson. My, I saw my, Brian Wilson again, and I've seen I've seen him a bunch of times, and it just gets progressively worse. But like, I saw him do <laughs> the um, the uh, sure the the Pet Sounds tour. That with like a symphony orchestra, this is like 20 years ago. And so he's like, he's not even, he's like 60 at the time or something like that, but he was still 60 Brian Wilson. He was, and they, he kind of shuffles on and he sits there and kind of plays his keyboard while everybody else does everything. But they play God only knows Brian Wilson plays God only knows. And it's arguably the greatest song of the millennium. Like it's God only knows. Right. And there's grown men in tears at the man music center, just grown men in tears. And he just finishes the song and just lifts his head up and just goes, isn't that a pretty song? 
<laughs> and then just starts playing it as if we've never heard it before. We're like, yeah, Brian, it's a pretty song. Thanks. You you have to see him when he plays uh, the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> my my brother saw him a few years ago at a at a small theater in New Brunswick, New Jersey. My brother and my brother in law went. I wisely passed. I was like, as much as I love it, this feels not great. Yeah, and he said that uh, they like it's like you said it's like they wheeled him out, and he. My brother said he looked so miserable. Yeah, he's like this. Yeah, my brother was yeah. texting his wife. He was like, "I think I'm, I think I'm gonna come home." Because my brother said he felt like he was witnessing elder abuse. <laughs> he was like, he was like that they're torturing this guy. He doesn't want to be here. It was uncomfortable to watch. I, I had a my my boss for the first TV job that I had used to work for like like Inside Edition and a Current Affair, all those shows in the '90s. He was a reporter, and he would you know like report he was in la and he like talked to a lot of musicians and he interviewed brian wilson once and he was at his home and apparently it's like this big atrium and there's like a couple of like layers with almost like balconies like inside and there's just like pianos all over the place like on these different balconies and he sat down at the bottom of the atrium and talked to brian for like 25 minutes or whatever and his publicist was there and then brian excuses himself because like the time was up he's like okay thank you and gets up and goes and then he's still talking to the publicist for a little while and brian just goes upstairs and he would just wander from one piano to another piano and just sit down at it for a second and play like the most beautiful melody that nobody's ever heard before and then just get up and shuffle over to the next piano and just sit down and play a different melody that was the most beautiful thing he's ever heard that that he's never heard before. And then he would just want and he would just go upstairs and just play all of the different pianos and then just like went off into a room. And I mean, it's got to be amazing. Yeah. Well, let's um, to wrap it up. Uh, what are you guys? Um, give me like two or three of your favorite police songs. That maybe not everybody knows. I uh, I love so lonely. Yeah, uh, yep. the first album. I think that was one I really love. Uh, Bed's too big without you. Mm -hmm. I really love. It's it's so hard when you sit there and try to look. You know, you look back and you think. I mean, it's just such a great collection, and it's one of those things. It's just a Miss Gradenko. It's it's a it's a crazy one. Um, that's thing and mother mother, I think is Stuart Copeland singing. Yeah. Uh, they're just, they're just different songs that people don't listen to, but cause we all know the big hits, but there are ones I just, I like when I hear yeah. man in a suitcase, you mentioned man in a suitcase, man in a suitcase is great. You yeah, know, Canary I, a coal mine, I, another one. I, you know, it's easy. Like the, the greatest hits you've heard so many thousands of times, you get to a point where you're like, I never need to hear Roxanne or every breath you take again for the rest of my life. But it's been so many years since I revisited the catalog that when I was listening to the albums as I'm driving around the last few days, I didn't I didn't skip any songs. I was just yeah. like, oh, my God, these are these are so great. Well, yeah, Peanuts I kind of wanted to yeah. Born in the 50s. Yeah. Born in the 50s is a great song. That's uh, I, I love that song. Uh, any other day is a fun one. Um, <laughs> Um, but you know, I was just listening to every breath you take today. And again, it's like, it's just, it's ingrained. Everybody knows every breath you take, but if you really sit down and listen to it, like it's 
a perfect song and it you for, like you were saying ken like you forget how good it was because it just becomes so you know so uh ubiquitous i would say my favorites i'm going with so lonely um don't stand so close to me i just i just love those and uh i love uh truth it's everybody truth is everybody's one of my favorites great, great song yeah, yeah. All there, that's the thing when you sit there it's hard like when we're saying ah like me and Kevin said da, 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 you know that was a hit and we're saying that yep. and if that's like if that's like one of your shittiest songs you have a really good yeah yeah, good yeah, yeah. i'd love to write it people love that but it's like if you listen to it and i think everyone should revisit because i revisited synchronicity about a few months ago and you just sit there and you lay i was laying on the couch and like said to alexa to play it and uh just great. They're all great. Like you can sit there and just play a whole album and they're shorter than they're like 35 minutes. They're not yeah. like the, you know, eight hours, you know, triple album. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's how about you, Ken? What are you, what are yours? Uh, I always love bring on the night. Mm-hmm. Um, which is about Gary Gilmore, uh, the serial killer. Oh, the really? dude from, uh, Years yeah. ago, yeah, 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 and yeah. Sting, like Sting said he knew what he was going through. He wanted to die, and I remember that video. The video was like on a beach, and that was on that crappy video channel I told you about with you know Ken's man Iggy Pop. Uh, that was on uh, that was on the uh, channel, but I remember that, and it was about Gary Gilmore, the serial like serial killer, really, in a death penalty in Arizona. Yeah, and he had a brother. Gary Gilmore had a brother that I think wrote for Rolling Stone. Which uh, I don't know why I remember that. I had a print subscription for years when I was a kid. And uh, I don't know why I remember that. But I loved, yeah, I loved Bring On The Night. And and they had so many good, dark songs. Um, I loved Man In The Suitcase. uh, Murder By Numbers. You mentioned The Bed's Too Big Without You. That that to me is uh, one of the all-time like great heartbreak songs. So, all right, Steve, uh, I hope you had, I hope you had a good time. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, this is great. I love, I love talking music. Yeah. Know, that's, yeah. Uh, we'd love to have you on again sometimes. You, you know, you want yeah, to bring you know, another talk about the Rick Springfield collection. Um, <laughs> actually, I do like Rick Springfield and that's another white whale. I can't get on my show. Try yeah. And, yeah. Trying to get Rick Springfield. I can get Kenny Jones. I can get Simon Kirk from Bad Company. I can get Steve Smith from Journey. Can't get Rick Springfield. How's that bullshit? I get Don Felder, Nils Lofgren, Stevie Van Zandt. Can't get Rick Springfield. That's amazing. Go Who's your? Do, do you have a like your that biggest get that you did get? I mean, I'm sure. I, I'm sure. The interview that blew my mind was when I got Stephen Van Zandt. Because I'm a huge Springfield fan. Yeah. I love yeah. Spanos, and I love Little Hummer. <laughs> And it, we're on Zoom and we're opening and I go, oh, you know, I'm going to try to make it light. So I go, oh, you know, you're a big guy in New Jersey. I said, is it Taylor Pork, Taylor Ham or Taylor Pork Roll? And he goes, ah, I don't know what that is. I'm a vegan conscientious objector. And I went, holy shit, it's all interesting. But he came back. He was great. I loved him. Um, Name wise, I, I, when I was in LA, I interviewed Ed Asner in the studio, which oh, wow. is just amazing because he's exactly what you think. His pants are pulled up the ear, took his chest, and Sharon Lawrence, the actress, was done first, and they knew each other. And he walks in the studio and he's like, Where was where was Sharon Lawrence sitting? I go right here. And he goes up and he kisses the microphone. I go, Oh, Jesus Christ, this guy's a nut. <laughs> but he was great. He says, You know, you, you do so many of them. I, I've done over 900. I mean, I've, yeah, I've wow. published over 900. 
925. I have four in the can right now. And uh, they're just good. You know, they're just, they're, there's so many. You know, I just interviewed Patrick Fabian for Better Call Saul. It's the third time he's done my show. Mm-hmm. And he's just such a nice guy. And that's the thing. And you guys see it. The, you guys get great guests. He's, they're just nice. It's like, it's like the bigger the star, the nicer person they are. I mean, I guess I've had that experience. I don't know you, but I mean, you, the guys you've had, you know, I mean, you told me that a uh, drummer for uh, Def, Rick Allen. Rick Allen. Drummer, you said he was a great nicest, guy. Nicest guy. I went to yeah. see him. I went to see him play with his wife. They, they offered me tickets to see him at a tiny little club in the city. And I got to like, I like hung out. We smoked a joint after the show. He, he was one of the nicest, like most humble, gracious people. See, I, I like that. Flavor. I interviewed Phil Collins. I didn't interview uh, Rick, but um, we have these guys. Cause it's like, why be a jerk? You know, you're, you're yeah. fucking, you're, you're rock stars, but I mean, you're a deaf leopard. I mean, you know, there's no reason like David Bryan, I'm sure was a good guy. He's, Oh, he's yeah, great. Well, had, he's great. Yeah. You're, great. you're a guy, you're in Bon Jovi for Christ's sake. We, yeah. You have no complaints. You have no complaints in life. So I've been lucky. I, I've been lucky. So I, you I can have, find my show at coopertalk.net. Yeah. Coopertalk.net. Cooper make sure. Yeah. Make sure you check Not Cooper out. time. Not Cooper time. Chip. I know. Not, sorry. Sorry. I'm an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Cooper time lemonade. It's a Cooper time lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have a friend who I told him I had interviewed Rick Allen and that he was the nicest guy on the planet. And my friend who has, he, he's not a music dude at all. So like if, if you play, if like, if he knows who a band is, you're like, holy shit, that's amazing that you've heard of the Rolling Stones, you know, like, uh, but I was telling him I interviewed Rick Allen. He was like, man, fuck that guy. And I was like, what do you got against Rick Allen? He's like, uh, I, he said he was like 12 years old on vacation in Jamaica or, or the Bahamas or something. And he's staying in the hotel as Rick Allen. And he's, uh, he's a little kid. And he's like, oh, I should go get an autograph. And he walked over and asked for an autograph. And Rick Allen was like, nah, not now, kid, and like brushed him off. So he's like, yeah, so for 30 years, I've been like, fuck that guy. And I'm like, well, how do you even know it was him? (laughs) He's like, because he was missing an arm, you fucking idiot. Of course it was him. I was like, I was like, I sarcasm's lost on him. (laughs) Um. Oh, the other real quick, you just mentioned uh, interviewing Steve Van Zandt. Steve Van Zandt yesterday on Twitter. I almost sent this to you, Chip, because it made me laugh so fucking hard. He was uh, he was tweeting about uh, the governor in Florida, uh, mm-hmm. Ron, Ron DeSantis. DeSantis. He called him the swollen Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, did you see his did you see his uh, tweet, his tweet to, to um, Dr. Oz? No, no. When he said, hey, Dr. Oz, hey, mom, come back to New Jersey. You don't want to mess with Fetterman. Come back to New Jersey. You belong here. We can we can go surfing. We can go to the ocean. You know, you don't want to mess with Fetterman. Come back to New Jersey. It just cracked me up. I did see that. It was like a video that he posted, right? Yeah. yeah, Amazing. So good. Yeah. Swollen Napoleon. That's classic. Swollen Napoleon is amazing. (laughs) I don't know if he came up with that on his own or he heard it, but I was like, oh, fuck, that's funny. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. All right, Chip, you got anything to uh... Uh, just uh, at Chip Chantry on Twitter and Instagram? Ken, what do you got coming up? 
Uh, I don't feel like looking through the thing. At Ken Krantz Comic, follow the show at Rock and Roll Pod. Steve, thank you so much for coming on. We'll we'll definitely have you back if you want. Yeah. At Cooper Talk Twitter. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. What is it, Twitter again? Tell everybody. Cooper Talk. Co- at Cooper Talk. Okay. Yeah, definitely follow that. It's a great show. And uh, coopertalk.net. Yeah, but, but Steve, Steve, thank you uh, so much. And uh, yeah, hope, hope to do it again soon. All right. See you next thank week. You guys. All right. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Bye.